Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, hello, church. It is such an honor to be with you today. And like John, I have been looking forward uh, to sharing with you for quite some time. Uh, It has been such a joy to partner with Connection Point, and uh, we, are, um, we are so delighted to see all that God is already doing over at the Avon campus. In fact, what a privilege I have today to welcome in the Avon campus. We love you guys, and we're so proud of all that God is already doing with you. And uh, I've had the opportunity of leading at some, some pretty incredible churches across the country, and I just need to say this from the start. Connection Point is a world-class church. You guys are led so well. Uh, You have leaders that love Jesus, and they love you, and they lead with wisdom. Yeah, you beat me to the punch. Come on, let's celebrate your leaders. We've quickly uh, come to love Pastor John and the entire team. Uh, Let me share with you a little bit about myself. Uh, Just a couple weeks ago, in fact, uh, my wife Katie and I celebrated our 21st uh, wedding anniversary. And I know what you're thinking. You guys must have gotten married when you were babies, and you would be correct. That is a true, that is a true thought. Uh, we have three, I guess, not-so-babies anymore. Uh, our two beautiful daughters, their names are Ava and Ella, and our youngest, my little guy, uh, his name is Aiden. As we're uh, just getting to know each other a little bit, uh, can I ask you a question as we get started? Uh, it's simply this. Have you ever noticed that you and I can tell ourselves some pretty crazy stories? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I I mean, there are times that you and I, we can see very real things happening in our lives, but quite often the story that we tell ourselves about what's happening, it's often pretty crazy. Let me give you kind of an embarrassing story from my own life. At the time, our family was living just a few minutes north of Los Angeles uh, in downtown Pasadena, and one of the things I loved about living in a city like Los Angeles is there's always something happening. You know what I'm talking about? In fact, most mornings when I would wake up and turn on the morning news, there would be footage of a high-speed chase that would have, would have taken place the, uh, the day before. In fact, our apartment complex set up against a freeway, and so it was very common to see helicopters uh, going overhead. And, and you know the kind of high-speed chase I'm talking about, right? Some bonehead thinks that they can outrun the police in their car, only to realize that they can't outrun the entire L.A. police force and all of the helicopters and all the news helicopters but I love that moment, you know what I'm talking about, where they, they have this immense wisdom where my car can't outrun the police, so I'm going to stop the car, and I'm going to get out on my own two feet, and I'm going to hoof it. Uh, surely now I can outrun them, and they never do. Uh, you've seen the footage. They're running through some city. They're running through some neighborhood, and sure enough, because of all the helicopters, they get caught. Well, also most mornings, I would go out for a run. I'd run several miles through uh, downtown Pasadena, and then I would make my way back. And on this particular day, as I was uh, running back through a college campus right there close to the city, I could hear the familiar hum of a helicopter, 
But the odd thing was it seemed really close. And as I came through the campus and back into the city, I looked up, and sure enough, there was a helicopter directly over my head. I mean, it was so close, it felt like I could reach up and touch this helicopter. It was just barely above the buildings. The crazy thing was, is when I started running up Lake Avenue, it's one of the main thoroughfares there in the city, step for step, the helicopter kept hovering very close to my head all the way as I ran up Lake Avenue. And it took several minutes to run up Lake, and as I keep running up, the helicopter is staying right there with me. And so I began to realize what's taking place. Uh, There must have been a high-speed chase off the freeway. Some bonehead has parked their car, and now they're running through the city. And at any moment, I'm about to be the hero. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm, I'm running with my fist drawn, like, come on, I'm ready to take you out and join in with the police force. Well, as I keep running up Lake Avenue, I get to this uh, major intersection in the cities where Lake and Colorado Boulevard intersect. I look up, and I can now tell that there's not just one helicopter directly overhead. There are, in fact, four helicopters that are circling directly above me. As I start to run down Colorado Boulevard, one of those helicopters gets out of formation, and now they begin to follow down Colorado Boulevard with me. And I'm just going to be honest, I was starting to freak out. (laughs) Because what I had now realized is they are, in fact, looking for a bad guy. The problem is they think I'm the bad guy. Like, this is not, this is not going well for me. Sure enough, at any moment, there's going to be a like CIA, FBI, repel from the helicopters and take me out. I am sprinting. It's no longer just a nice little jog. I am sprinting back to our apartment complex. I finally get to the steps of our apartment complex, and as I'm about to run up the steps, There was another, a fifth helicopter that emerges on the other side of our apartment complex. It hovers over my head and then takes off. I run into our apartment. I lock the door behind me. I notice that my wife, Katie, is sitting on the couch watching the TV, and like my back's aching, my blood's pumping, my legs are about to fall off. And I'm like, Katie, you are not going to believe what's happening outside. She said, I know. I've been watching it all on TV. (laughs) And I'm thinking, you've been watching all of this on TV? She continues, uh, yeah, there was a wreck on the freeway. Uh, every news helicopter in the city is, is watching it. In fact, probably about the time you were coming up the steps of the apartment complex, they were medevacing somebody off of the freeway and taking them to the hospital. And I can't breathe, and I'm like, I know, that's exactly what I thought was taking place outside. Everything you just said is exactly what I thought was taking place. Have you ever noticed that you and I can tell ourselves some pretty crazy stories? Everything that had happened to me was 100% real. The story I had constructed about what I thought was happening was 100% false. You and I can tell ourselves some pretty crazy stories. Now, the funny thing is, it's kind of a story that I get to tell, but Unfortunately, this happens all too often in our real lives. Something very real is taking place, but the narrative that we tell ourselves about what is actually happening all too often is completely false. In fact, several years ago, back in 2005, the National Science Foundation conducted a study on our thinking. And what they found out is that you and I can have some 60,000 thoughts in a day a lot of thinking. If you ever just get to the end of the day and you're completely exhausted, now you know why, right? Your your mind is on overdrive. But they also discovered that up to 80% of our thoughts are negative. 
You do the math, that's 48,000 negative thoughts every day going on in your mind and mine about ourselves, about others, and about the world around us. Now, and this is critically important to understand, whenever you and I hurt, when we have some kind of pain that's going on in our lives, we compound that negative and false thinking. We compound that negative and false thinking. Thoughts that we have about ourselves, about others, and about the world around us. This is critically important to recognize because the truth is all of us have some kind of hurt in our lives. For you, it could be some kind of a relational hurt. Maybe there's a really important relationship that's beginning to unravel. Maybe you can sense there's a growing tension in a different relationship. Maybe for you, you're waiting for a relationship to come about. When will I finally, and you can fill in the blank. For somebody else, maybe there's some hurt from your past. Maybe you're deeply missing someone and you really haven't healed from seeing them. Maybe somebody treated you poorly. Maybe you've hurt somebody else in your past and you're having a hard time forgiving yourself. Maybe for you, your hurt is actually fear of the future. You're constantly anxious about what's coming. When will I get noticed? Will I ever get into that school? When am I gonna get the promotion? And the list goes on and on. All of us have some level of hurt in our lives. Maybe you're waiting for something to come about. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe today you'd you'd say, I'm even angrier or I'm bitter with God. And the question I want us to think about today is this. What should we do when we hurt? What should we do when we hurt? Now, I I recognize this is a really simple question, but how you answer that question is really important. Since so much of our thinking can often be negative and false, and we can end up telling ourselves some pretty crazy stories when we have hurt in our lives, it's really important how you answer that question. Not only because of how you think about yourself or others or the world around you, but perhaps the most dangerous distortion that we often have in our lives is how we think about God. More specifically, how we think God feels about us when we are hurting. So often when we hurt, we think that God doesn't care about us. So often when we hurt, we think that God is aloof, He's apathetic to our pain. Uh, Some people even think that God is mad at them. That's the reason that they're hurting. They think they're hurting because God is punishing them in some form or fashion. So often we can tell ourselves some pretty crazy stories about God when we're hurting, when we're lonely, when we're afraid of something. And the problem is when we have this dangerous distortion of how we view God and how we think God views us, Rather than running to God when we hurt, we end up running away from God in the middle of our hurt. But I want us to slow down and look at this today. I wonder, what if the hurt has caused you to believe a crazy story or the wrong things about God? What if you and I so often have been looking at our hurt wrong? Uh, Consider what the scriptures say is true. This is a promise of God when you and I are hurting. It says this, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 
The Lord is near to those that are hurting, and he loves to say to rescue those that are brokenhearted. When you and I hurt, we want to do everything we can to get out of it, to relieve that pain. And isn't it interesting that the psalmist says, when we hurt, God is actually really close by. And God wants to show himself powerful so often in our lives. Now, we see this all the time in real life around us. When, a, when there's a parent with a child of really any age, when their child is hurting, what do they want to do? They want to come close, and they want to be a part of resolving the problem. This is how God feels about you, and it's how he feels about me. When we hurt, he wants to draw near, and he wants to be a part of the solution. The crazy story we often tell ourselves is that when we hurt, we think that God is causing the pain or he's absent in the pain. But the scriptures tell us that so often when we are hurting, God's love and power are most fully displayed when we hurt. So when we're hurting, we actually have an extra special opportunity to experience more of God's presence and to see more of God's power in our lives. What should we do when we hurt? Well, what if there was a way when we hurt to see who God really is and what he's really doing in our lives. Here's the big idea I want us to think about today. It's, it's this, when your hurt draws you closer to God rather than running away, when your hurt draws you closer to God, you actually get to experience his presence and see his power. When your hurt draws you closer to God, you get to experience his presence and see his power. Here's what we're gonna do with our time together today. We're gonna look at two women in their deepest grief and hurt. And I want us to look at their different responses, but moreover, I want us to see how Jesus relates to them in their hurt because it's a great image for how Jesus relates to you and I in our own hurt. We're going to turn to John chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there. Of course, we'll have the scriptures on the screen as well. And this, this passage is going to help us walk out this tr truth. When your hurt draws you closer to God, you get to experience his presence and see his power. John chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse three. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Now I think it's important to recognize that Jesus says this sickness will not end in death. Now, I'm not going to give us a spoiler in the story, but this story will actually end, or it will go through death. It won't end in death, but it will go through death. Now, I think it's important for us to, to note, because in our own lives, when we turn to Jesus, our story will not end in hurt or pain or suffering, but so often the goodness of God does go through it. That's exactly what Jesus is telling the disciples right now. This sickness will not end in death. He goes on and says this, no, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. In other words, Jesus is saying God is allowing this so that the son of God can be more fully put on display. I want you to watch as we go through this story, watch how we learn more about Jesus as we go forward. Verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I love how the writer confirms one more time, Jesus deeply loves these three. 
So if he deeply loves them, we think we can predict how the story is going to go. Lazarus is sick. Jesus is going to get up immediately, and he's going to go, and he's going to heal Lazarus. He's going to save the day. He's going to swoop in and save them as soon as he can. Except it says this in verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Raise your hand if that makes any sense. He loves them, so he stays where he is. We think he's going to swoop in and save the day. Jesus learns that his friend Lazarus is sick. These two women that he loves are in distress. He's going to go and help them, right? So, there's a cause and effect here. So, he stays where he is two more days. And in the process, we're learning an important biblical truth, that because God loves us, Sometimes he waits. Maybe somebody needs to let that sink in today. Because he loves us, sometimes he waits. We assume that if God loves us, he will swoop in and save us at the moment that we pray in the way that we expect. And the crazy story that we tell ourselves is that if God doesn't move in the way that we pray, then he must be holding out on us. God must be denying my prayers. He must be denying me a rescue. And I pray that you'll hear this today, that God's delay does not mean God's denial. God's delay does not mean God's denial. Now, maybe you're thinking today, yeah, but I've prayed and nothing's changing. Like, when, when is my child going to finally turn to Jesus? When will my financial breakthrough come about? When am I going to get the job? I've been praying. When am I going to get married? When am I going to have children of my own? When is my miracle going to come through? And I pray that you'll hear this. God's delay does not mean God's denial. Jesus has already told them, no, no, this is for God's glory. You're going to get to see more of Jesus because of how this story will unfold. And so often the crazy story that we tell ourselves is that the presence of hardship must mean the absence of God. But what if the hardship is actually an opportunity to experience more of God's love? What if you're going through that situation and now it becomes an opportunity to experience more of Jesus in the process? What does the scripture promise? He's near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. It goes on and says this in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So Jesus waits and by the time he arrives, Lazarus has been dead and placed in the tomb for four days. And I wonder if we can imagine this from the vantage point of the sisters. I'm guessing that we can because the reality is all of us have a Lazarus prayer in our lives. Times when we ask God to move and he did not move in our timing. Jesus, we sent for you. Why weren't you here? Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. I love the two responses. We see it all the time around us. One of them runs to Jesus, and one of them says, I'm not ready to speak to him yet. <laughs> Come on, we have those times. I'll get to Jesus when I'm ready. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not 
have died. Jesus, if you had come, he'd still be alive. Now, eventually, Martha goes back and tells Mary, hey, Jesus is asking about you, and she will come to Jesus. I think it's important to note because Jesus isn't going to come knocking on Mary's door and saying, hey, we're going to have a conversation right now. No, no, he, he's asking about her, and he's waiting where he is for her to come to him. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They've been sitting in the house together for days in their grief and in their anger, and they've been repeating this same story. If Jesus was here, this wouldn't have happened. That's the crazy story they've been believing, but you and I already know. Jesus has said, no, there's a much bigger story at play here There's a reason why I waited. I've been in control of this whole situation. And yet, watch this, verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus wept. Now, I find this fascinating, that Jesus has already said this is not going to end in death. No, this is so that the Son of God can be more fully glorified. Jesus knows how the story is going to go, and yet Jesus is fully present with them in the moment, and he's weeping. Why? It's a really simple answer. Because he loves them. Because he loves them, he's weeping with them. Why is that important? Who is Jesus? He's both fully man and he's fully God. So when we see Jesus weeping right alongside them, we know that that's how God feels about them as well. It's how God feels about you also. When you hurt, Jesus is showing you this is how God feels toward you. He is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. The crazy story that we often tell ourselves is that if God hasn't moved in my life the way that I expected, he must be angry with me, he must be aloof, he must be apathetic. But God's seeming absence does not equal apathy. God's seeming absence does not equal apathy. Just because it may feel like God is absent, don't believe the lie that he doesn't care. Jesus is showing them and he's showing us, no, this is how God cares when you and I are hurting. Now, all of us want God's glory to shine through our lives as followers of Jesus, but we rarely see it that way when we're hurting. And here's what I think is fascinating in the story. Jesus hasn't done anything for Lazarus yet, And yet they and we already know more about Jesus than when we started the story. He is being glorified in the process. He's showing more of himself to them. And as we are walking through our own hurt, remember it won't end in the hurt, as we're walking through the hurt, he's displaying more of himself to us as well. What does this teach us that we should do when we hurt? If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write down two things. The first one would be this. Don't let your hurt hold you back from running to Jesus. That's what we saw initially with Mary. Her hurt held her back from going to Jesus and spending time with him. But Martha runs straight to Jesus. Two different responses we see in our lives all the time. And I think it's fascinating that they're 
there are two different responses to the tears of Jesus as well. One group of people, they look at the tears of Jesus and they're like, man, look at how much Jesus loved them. And then there's this other group of people that say, but if he loved them, why didn't he do something? And if we're being honest, don't we feel that way sometimes? Like, Jesus, I know you love me, but why didn't you move when I prayed? Jesus, I know you love me, but I've seen you do more for other people. Jesus, I know you love me, but I'm hurting. Why didn't you help? Why didn't you heal? Why didn't you move in the way that I asked or in the way that I expected? I want to challenge you today. Don't let your hurt hold you back from running to Jesus. The second thing I'd encourage you to hang on to today is this. Let the hurt remind you that God is close and moving. Let the hurt remind you that God is close and hurting. What was the promise we read earlier? He is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those that are crushed in spirit. That's a promise. So when you're hurting, this is what God is doing, even if you can't feel it, even if you can't see it. So let the hurt be a trigger, not to run from God, but to run to him. Let the hurt remind you that God is moving. He is close by. In fact, let's see Jesus show more of his presence and more of his power in the story. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved. The writer really wants us to know Jesus loved them. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Jesus is about to move in an extra special way. The delay does not mean denial. His seeming absence does not mean apathy. Deeply moved, Jesus came to the place of their deepest hurt. And Jesus wants to come to the place of your deepest hurt as well. I find it interesting. I'm not going to spoil the story. But Jesus is about to do something that's never been done before. And yet, Jesus looks at the people and he says, take away the stone. Seems like that's a pretty obvious thing. I think it's interesting because if Jesus wanted to, he could speak the words and the stone would roll away. Are you with me? Jesus could speak the words and the stone would, would turn into gravel. And yet, he tells them, you, you're going to have to move the stone if you want me to move in this man named Lazarus's life. Bring me to that place. Take away the stone. The same is true for each and every one of us. Jesus is not going to force his way into your life, but if you'll invite him to that place of deepest hurt, if you'll take away the stone and say, Jesus, I need you right here, he is pleased to show his presence and in his time and in his way to show his power. Take, take away the stone. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, I love that the writer tells us that Jesus said this in a loud voice. Why? Because it means that Jesus is far from apathetic. He wants to move in this situation. He's been waiting for this opportunity to display his presence and his power. Lazarus, come out. And in response to the voice of Jesus, this man who had been dead for four days, take that in for a second, this man that had been dead for four days, his heart starts pumping. 
His lungs start breathing air. His muscles and ligaments and tendons begin to move. Verse 44, and the dead man came out. Now, we've read the Bible a handful of times, probably most of us, and so we might just wash over those words. The dead man <laughs> came out. He started walking, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. When your hurt draws you closer to God, you get to experience his presence and you get to see his power. And the voice of Jesus is close to you, just like it was close to the sisters and to Lazarus. That's good news because that means that your grave is not beyond God's grasp. That just like he moved in their life, he wants to move in your life. We've all got a Lazarus, a dream, a broken relationship, a, some kind of a brokenness or a hurt in our lives. And it feels like it's four days dead. There's no way that God can move in my situation but I pray this story today would remind you that your grave is not beyond God's grasp, that he wants to move in your life too. Take away the stone. Open that place of deepest hurt to Jesus because he wants to display his presence and his power to you. Why was Jesus delayed? Why was he seemingly absent? Because he loved them. If Jesus comes when they want him to, they don't get to see any of this. If Jesus comes and he heals them quickly, they don't get to see that Jesus is actually the resurrection and the life. To this point, they know Jesus can heal. They don't know he can raise dead things to life. And their brother gets to be the foreshadowing of the greatest miracle of all time when Jesus resurrects himself. God's delay does not mean God's denial. Now, lest you think this only happens in the Bible. I want to tell you about a couple of my friends. Their, their names are Nathan and Ashley, two, two separate people who kept turning to God in the midst of their own hurt. Hurt that didn't immediately go away, but I want you to see how God displays both his presence and his power in a really special and unique way in their lives. Ashley was in her early 30s when she began to follow Jesus. A friend invited her to church and she began to follow Jesus. She already had her own lucrative career, but as she was starting to follow Jesus, she sensed a calling to share uh, the gospel of Jesus with children. That's why I love this photo of her. It just speaks so well to her heart. She went to great lengths to make sure that she could fulfill that calling. And yet several years after following Jesus, now into her mid-30s, I know she had this ache in her heart that she would sometimes share with me and my wife Katie. Like, when is my turn gonna come about? Like, when am I gonna be able to get married? I'm taking care of your children, God. When am I gonna be able to have my own family? There was this hurt in her heart, but she kept turning to Jesus even while the hurt was there. And as God was moving in her life, even in, though she didn't quite see it yet, Nathan's life was beginning to unravel. Life as he knew it would never be the same. When I first met Nathan, he was working uh, two jobs. And his second job was at a, as a building supervisor at the YMCA where our church first met. And every time I would see Nathan, many, many times over, I would invite him to come to church uh, with us on a Sunday morning. And I'll never forget when he responded to that invitation, and he was there on a Sunday morning at the YMCA, not to work, but to worship with us. And that Sunday, I remember him sitting in the back, 
he raised his hand to begin following after Jesus. In the place of his deepest hurt, he was turning to Jesus. I'll also never forget when he called me on the phone a couple weeks later. He called me and said, Chad, I'm calling from a hospital room. In the midst of this hurt, I began thinking some thoughts, and I was scared of what I might do to myself, so I checked myself into a hospital. And I, and I, I just need you to pray with me. We spent several minutes praying on the phone together, and he worked through some of that hurt and pain. And I remember days after, just days after he got out of the hospital. Let me show you a photo. He, he stepped into the pool there at the YMCA, but not to clean it as a building supervisor, but to declare the cleansing work that Jesus was doing in his life and to go public with his faith and step into the waters of baptism right there where he worked. How amazing is that? Yeah, you can, you can give it up and celebrate what God's doing in his life. Yeah. And I love how in the middle of his deepest hurt, he kept turning to Jesus. Now, God didn't immediately take away his hurt or Ashley's hurt, but what I love is as they kept turning towards Jesus and as Jesus was bringing them through their hurt, he not only brought them through their hurt, he actually brought them to each other. <laughs> I love how the story continues. In fact, two years, almost to the date that Nathan got baptized, he uh, proposed to Ashley, and just several months later, I had the amazing privilege of officiating their wedding. It was a beautiful ceremony as their friends and family gathered around to declare the goodness of God in their life. And it's a reminder to me and a reminder to you that you never know, you never know how God is going to work you through your hurt as you continue to turn to Jesus. We can tell ourselves some pretty crazy stories, especially when we're hurting. We might think God's mad at me, God's not listening to me, God's not able to move in my hurt. But what if the presence of the hardship isn't the absence of God? What if the presence of the hardship is actually the opportunity for God to express more of his love in a special way to you? God is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. We saw it with Mary and Martha. They didn't get the healing that they first requested. Instead, they got something better. Their brother got to be the foreshadowing of the resurrection of Jesus. And it's a dramatic reminder for you and for me. What do we do when we hurt? In the midst of our own Lazarus prayer, what do we do? When hurt draws us closer to God, we get to experience his presence and we get to see his power. Now, I think it's interesting if you continue reading the story in John chapter 11, that there are still two responses to this miracle that Jesus performs. Now, you and I might think there's only one logical response. They just saw Jesus raise somebody from the dead. You're gonna place your faith in Jesus and follow him, and some do that. But there's another group of people. They actually go to the religious leaders, and they say to themselves, we don't know what to do with this man named Jesus. <laughs> what do we do with Jesus? And I actually think it's a really great question for you and I to ponder today. What do we do with this Jesus? This Jesus who says to those that are hurting, take away the stone, invite me in. I'd love to show you my presence and my power uniquely in your life. Maybe for somebody else. Maybe you're kind of in that place that Nathan was. You're, you're, you're coming here and you're, you've never placed your faith in Jesus. What do you do with this man named Jesus? I want to invite you in a moment to place your faith in Jesus, to believe that he wants to become your Lord and your Savior. Would you pray with me?
Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the privilege of knowing Jesus. God, that you love us so much that you would go to every length possible to make sure that we could know that you are near to us. Lord, that you want to save those who are crushed in spirit. And as we pray today, I, I want to pray alongside of you. In fact, if you're hurting today, maybe you would pray something like this in your own heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. Something like this. Jesus, I need you. God, I, I'm, I'm hurting today. God, this hurt, it's, it's been sending me away from you because I believe some different lies. But today, God, I'm gonna allow this hurt to draw me closer to you. And God, would you help me to experience your presence? God, help me to be patient, to see your power in your time and your way. As we continue to pray, maybe there'll be somebody here today and you say, today's my day. Today's my day to go all in and to place my faith in Jesus. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray, pray a prayer, something like this. Jesus, I need you. I believe you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. I believe you rose up from the dead so that I could have new life. And today, I'm going to turn from my old life, and I'm going to turn to this life that you're offering me. Come and fill me up with your Holy Spirit today. Father, we love you and we thank you. God, we, we thank you that our grave, our Lazarus prayer is not beyond your grasp. We thank you that you want to display your presence and your power uniquely to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.